Afterfest with DMS Broadcasting and Kiss FM. We're going to be at the Field of Dreams, the the uh, the reno- newly renovated Field of Dreams. Mm-hmm. This Sunday, 10 to 2, absolutely free event. And we have Easter Games. We've got the Easter Bunny. We've got candy from Hershey's. We've got the batting cages open, crafts, bouncy castles, food, the sandbar drink truck for moms and dads mm-hmm. uh, to make that go a lot easier. And... Uh, and so much more. So come on out and see us 10 to 2 on Sunday, this coming Sunday at Field of Dreams. All right, 723 right now. Big news. I have some important news for you. Interesting news. It's Blake and Darren's Spilling the Tea with Sandy. K-Man's top news headlines of the day from CMR. Good morning, Sandy. Good, Good. morning, Blake and Aaron. How are you guys? We Great. are fantabulous. How are you? Awesome. Very good. Thank you. What do you have for us this morning? So let's kick it off with a little bit of immigration news. Uh, All right. Interesting to hear that uh, companies have been fined over a million dollars for immigration-related offenses over the past three years. Mm -hmm. Yes, the um, Ministry of Border Control and the um, Deputy Premier, the Honorable Chris Saunders, said that companies and individuals need to ensure that they're remaining compliant with immigration laws to avoid fines or prosecution. And so over a million dollars have been levied against individuals who are in breach of the Immigration Transition Act for a number of offenses, but everything from um, allowing people to work outside the terms of their work permit, um, not uh, paying work permits, like having the employee pay it, yeah, um, I mean, the, the offenses are just, there's a long list of them, but um, it's probably a drop in the bucket compared to what's really happening. But everything from feeling to um, answer truthfully, uh, possession of a forged document. So some of these offenses are actually quite serious. Um, so the minister is saying, please be reminded that you need to be compliant. Erin was just asking me, because um, she, she was like, do, do people actually go to jail for overstaying? And I was like, yeah. yeah. Has there been people? Wasn't there a recent case of somebody there going to prison? There was a recent case, and he overstayed for like a really long time. Yeah, it was like five um, years or something. Oh, my God, yeah. And he wow. only got like six months or something. So oh, it's, hardly, it's hardly a deterrent. But uh, to deport afterwards, yes. you, would yes. assume, you would assume. Yeah. yeah. But there's a lot of people, I feel like, that don't get deported after a Overstay? crime. Uh, but, well, that's a crime. Well, I mean, I... Can't get a permit if you got a bad police report. Yeah. That's true. Don't need a permit if you didn't have one before. No, I'm joking. True. That's why people don't get permits. That's why. Yeah. That's why people don't get permits. One of the reasons. They're like, oh, I gotta get a police report. Yeah, that's probably okay. the forged documents or police report. I know. I know. Yeah. Um, so the um, that's kind of funny. The National Roads Authority is having another meeting this evening. So everyone in the Baden Town district is being welcome, is being invited, my apologies, to attend this particular one. Um, it's gonna be at the church there in Baden Town. And, um, you know, they, they're, they've they been going district to district and I think these are really, really good uh, to just keep people abreast of all the roadworks because there are quite a few that are going on currently as well as future roadworks to so make sure that you check it out, folks. Um, this is beneficial information and it will be held at the Webster Memorial United Church Hall at 261 Bodden Town Road, 7 p.m. sharp. Okay. So arrive on time, please. And um, in other news, some livestock will be imported here shortly into the Cayman Islands in case you're interested. Sometimes they have to inject livestock into the local population just to keep it um, as diverse as possible. Mm-hmm. Okay. Any issues, I think, mm-hmm. with 
But like what? We're, br- I, I mean, I haven't seen many cows on the side of the road lately. So is that what we're? They're bringing in some new meat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> fresh meat. <laughs> what, like, what do they bring in? <laughs> like, like, cow. Yeah. All of a sudden, we're gonna be like, yeah. wait, yeah. there's a camera on the road. Move <laughs> over. There's some uh, fresh cows coming in. Fresh yeah. cows. Move over. Okay. Congrats to the Health Services Authority. They've opened a new clinic at the Smith Road Medical Center, so they continue to expand their services. And in this instance, um, it's going to be the new Georgetown General Practice, the GP clinic, and public health clinics are going to be in the second floor of the Smith Road Medical Center starting on the 11th, which is Monday. So if you have appointments, GP appointments or public health clinic appointments, make sure that you go to the new location next week. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Right next to the U.S. Embassy. All right. Blue Clinic is now closed, um, effective on the 9th, which is, I believe, on Friday. Yes. No, oh, the 9th is this weekend. Mm-hmm. On yeah. Saturday. So the flu clinic will be closing on Saturday. But if you still have flu-like symptoms, of course, you can get um, urgent care at the urgent care clinic as well. So those are some of your news headlines for this beautiful Thursday morning. I was reminded of this. I don't know if you ever watched this show to catch a smuggler on TV. It's a pretty good show. Anyway, last night. I've never heard of it actually. This this work thing reminded me of uh, this guy who was coming in through customs and they found that he had like a whole stack, like a a hundred or so uh, fake um, vaccination cards that he was smuggling into the United States. Really? Wow. So long story short, he didn't, he didn't get convicted or go to jail. They just, they confiscated all the fake vaccination cards Yeah, and, they, and then they deported him and he's not allowed to enter the United States for 10 years. Ooh. Wow. Wasn't there that one person that got uh, the jab like 90 yes. times? <laughs> we actually did a story yeah. on that. That is if so If you're crazy. a vaccine denier, this guy's still alive. Like, he got it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's, he's that's like, the first thing that crossed my mind. I'm like, they cannot say that the vaccine kills because if it killed after 90 <laughs> times, yeah. I mean, All right. that guy's got to be super new. <laughs> Catch uh, CMR in one minute right now. Uh, on okay. 89.1 FM. We'll see you tomorrow for Bye. Friday's show. Bye. Our segment with CMR brought to you. Oh, my gosh. That is so funny. Yes, I think we didn't really get into any details on that, but the guy took like 90-something jabs. Um, people are crazy. That's the only conclusion that I can come to sometimes. All right, about that. 30 seconds left before we go live on the radio. Uh, grab my tension mat, which really helps when you're standing up all the time. Good morning, everybody. We're going to get the show on the road here in less than 15 seconds. Where's everybody this morning? Y'all need to wake up. Y'all look like y'all sleeping still. Um, let's just see what's going on here. Sorrel, ginger, beaver grass, or English. Get it ready. Your morning tea just got hotter. Ooh, honey child. On the cold hard truth, Bobo 89.1 and Cayman's number one talk show are bringing you morning talk like no one else. Monday Rewind, Impact Wednesdays, Caribbean Connections, and much more. Don't miss a beat with what's happening in the local community. Just keep sipping your tea. 
What a mess. Here's your host, live and direct from the Cayman Islands, Sandy Hill. Shine, we are at it, up and at it this morning. Good morning to everyone. 89.9, Bobo 89.9 FM, of course, already your number one talk radio station. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. We've got a special guest who's going to be joining us a little bit uh, later on in the morning. She is an expert on Russian affairs. And so we're going to be talking about the war. Um, I don't even, listen, I think it's fair to say that this isn't a war. It is legitimately an invasion of Ukraine, and that's what we should properly call it. But we'll talk about that entire situation there to get an update. So we had her in the show before, and uh, she's amazing and very, very informative and extremely knowledgeable. And she'll be joining us again to sort of give us an update and where things are at, because I find that, you know, a lot of times we don't always get to, listen, I've got so many TVs in my house, I don't even know what to do. But the truth of the matter is most of them never get turned on because I am just so busy. Um, I do not always get a chance to catch up with the news to hear what's going on. And so that's outside of Cayman News, of course. In the Cayman Islands, I know a lot of what's going on. We are investigating a couple of things at the moment that we'll be able to give you some dates on hopefully later on today. One is involving an incident at John Gray High School with um, an alleged assault from uh, an administrator to a student. I don't want to say too much about that until the ministry has had an opportunity to get back to me. And then there's also another situation um, in Cayman Brack where the Cayman Brackers are saying that uh, they are out of work, uh, road work. And so a lot of people have been jumping on social media and talking about that. But of course, we really want to make sure that we get the correct information because that has the potential to you know, impact a lot of people there in the BRAC and a lot of people appear to be upset about it, but I am not on the BRAC and so I don't have a real sense of exactly what is going on. So we're also waiting on an official comment from um, the responsible person in the ministry to give us those details as well. So as soon as we have updates on those two things, we will certainly let you guys know uh, you know, sometimes it takes a little bit more time to flush out a story, and uh, we don't always jump the gun, folks. We got to take our time, get the correct information, and believe me when I tell you, we try to, and I would say, eh, ninety-seven percent of the time, we really try to reach out to the relevant parties. Now, well, some of the restrictions that we often face is that government is used to doing things in their own time, which means it's like a tortoise very, very slow. And so the response oftentimes doesn't come um, in a meaningful way when it comes to, you know, trying to be breaking news media. Um, and there are times that you can't wait two weeks to get a response to something. Now, admittedly, I think there have been some improvements in this area, particularly under the current administration. I don't know if they sent them a directive to say, listen, news media isn't gonna wait on your response and Sandy certainly isn't gonna necessarily wait. Um, but, you know, if we have a comment from them or a response from them, we certainly wish to include that in any coverage that we have. So those two stories we are chasing out for you guys. And we'll have Dr. Uh, Golfo Alex Alexopoulos. 
Ooh, what a name, joining us a little bit later on this morning. And she is a professional direct, professor and director of USF Institute on Russia. So do not forget that the phone lines are always open, folks. 936-BOBO is a telephone number. You can call in at any time with your comments. So make sure that you, uh, if you have a question or a comment for her um, on Russia or the situation in Ukraine, you can certainly feel free to um, do so. So that's what we've got lined up for you today. So last night, I had a wonderful evening. I attended the annual um, Boys to Men um, fine dining dinner at the Ritz. Now, this event has been going on at the Ritz for some six years. And I have been to, oh, I feel like I've been to at least four of them. I've been to a few for sure. And I want to take my hats off <clears throat> to the entire team there, uh, Mr. Murray in particular, and of course his board with Simon and um, the others that really make this program uh, a success. And, um, you know, they do such a fabulous job with these young men. And I think this particular cohort included students from both John Gray and Clifton Hunter. And this is the first year that they've done that. And they were involved in the dinner as well. So some over 80 young men were there with their moms or mom adjacent. So not everyone has a biological mother, but you know, someone doesn't have to be your biological mother to be your mom. You know, you guys know this, I don't have to tell you this. And so there are a lot of women in the community who fill that role. Sometimes it's a teacher who's taken on that role in some regard. Um, other times it is a grandmother or an aunt or, you know, just somebody else in the family or a loving person in the community <clears throat> who has, uh, you know, fostered children and helped to raise a lot of the children in the community. So we like to say that it takes a village, but believe me, you, in some instances, it literally is uh, the village that's doing the raising of some people's children. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a sad indictment when parents are not able to take up that responsibility. I had a lot of parents messaging me last night about one of the young ladies who's currently missing from the Francis Bodden home. And the sentiment there is that, listen, this young lady had so much potential. She's very young and they're really blaming a large portion of why she's in the home at the foot of her mother. They're like, this woman was out there partying and running the streets and not really focused on her kids when she should have been. And as a result, you know, this child who was such a sweet little child started to um, get into some trouble. Now, you know, I think that teens, uh, sometimes some of them were talking about this last night and the guest speaker, Mr. Anthony Lawson was also making some very salient remarks when he said, listen, as a teenager, you always think you know everything. You think you know more than your parents. You know, you're trying to be cool. You're trying to follow your friends. Um, but in short order, you realize that you've got to start making better decisions in life. And one of the things that he really that he said that really stuck with me is when you start to make better decisions, um, you know, things really start to go your way. Like people want to support you when they see you making good decisions and when you're doing um, good things. And I reflected on that even in terms of my own life experience as a young person and when I was a teen and you know, I, I absolutely agree with him. You know, I got involved in some programs, um, even when I was in high school, teen court, for example, that really had a positive impact on my life, uh, you know, going into university and even beyond. 
Because I tell you what, when I participated in the teen court program, that decision, which it was a volunteer position with other teens, that allowed me to have access to the judiciary. And I tell you, there was a judge, I'll never forget him. His name was Judge Castor. I can see his face now. He's since passed away. Uh, this was back in the um, mid-90s, I guess. When did I graduate from high school? Oh, gosh. Uh, so long ago. Mm -mm, that was in mid-90s. That was the early 90s. Oh, my goodness. Um, you know, when I was doing that program, I remember Judge Casta one day pulling me aside. The one day that I had to be, not really by choice, <laughs> a defense attorney comes like, oh, I'm not defending these kids. They're all guilty. You know, that was my attitude. And one day they had no one um, to defend this, uh, I think it was a young lady who'd gotten in a fight at school. And so the program is very simple. You um, participated in the program and, you know, you could, your peers were your judges and it was overseen, like the proceedings were overseen by a real legitimate judge. So Judge Castor was well-respected in the Tampa community as a judge for many, many, many years. And ironically, his wife, speaking of USF, because we have a USF guest coming on, his wife went on to become the first female president of the University of South Florida. So life can be so interconnected at times, right? She was actually, I think, his ex-wife at the time. She'd be married. But... Um, yeah, so Betty Castor. So anyway, the one day I got this defense case and I was like, all right, nobody else was available to do it. And I did my best. You know, kids had to essentially um, cop a plea to participate in the program. But the least you could get was 10 community hours of um, 10 community service hours. But they had, you know, your jury peers could take away your driver's license if you drive. They could put you like on a, you know, um, house arrest order where you have like school and then after school you had to go home you couldn't go anywhere else so their powers were kind of far-reaching in terms of what uh, was permitted but the idea behind the program is if you committed a misdemeanor first offense you were getting a second chance and none of this would go on your record so it wasn't something that was going to blemish your record and young people need second chances <laughs> sometimes they need third and fourth chances because they are young and they're still coming into their own and they're going to make a lot of foolish decisions but, you know, as Mr. Lawson said last night, you've got to know that your decisions start to matter at this age now. You're in high school. You know, people, the world isn't going to continue to just give you a pass. And um, making better decisions is, is such an important idea. So, you know, when I um, acted as a defense attorney, and I put that, you know, in quotes because we weren't attorneys, but you know what I mean, teen attorneys, <laughs> Um you know, I made an argument of self-defense, which actually was true in this case. And uh, the young lady walked away with just the 10 community hours. So that was seen as a victory. But more importantly, Judge Castor was making some observations. So after the proceedings, he approached me and he said, young lady, you know, you have a real um, knack for activism. And, you know, you were, you were an excellent advocate on behalf of your client today. It was a difficult case, but you, you know, put forward all of the salient points in terms of mitigation. And, you know, I was like, hmm, I said, okay. <laughs> you know, it was, it was amazing getting feedback from someone like him. I mean, he's like a well-respected judge, right? So he said, you know, I would love to sometime sit down and have lunch with you, you know, Here's my contact details. And I was like, oh my God, Judge Castor wants to have lunch. Are you kidding me? Of course. And so um, he became a mentor and he said to me, if you want to go to law school, 
<clears throat> anywhere in the state of Florida, once you got your, once you got the grades now, because of course he can't recommend someone who's flunking at school. But once you've got the grades, I will simply write you a reference letter. And you know, that's like a shoe in, right? Like Judge Caster writes you like, if you want to go Stetson, if you want to go to University of Florida law, he's like, anywhere you want to go to law school, you let me know. Once it's in Florida, that's the kind of clout that he carried. And so I was so appreciative um, of that and of his mentorship over the years. Of course, many of you will know that I completed my university degree and ended up coming back to the Cayman Islands to go to law school. Once I found out there was a Cayman, there was a law school here, my heartstrings after 15 years of living in the States was being tugged back home. And um, I was like, well, let me just go home. What does home look like now after 15 years? So, you know, I had grown up pretty much in the States. So it was quite an adjustment returning. But um, Anthony, when he said, the, when you start to make good decisions, good things are going to follow from that. And I'm just like, yes. And people will want to help you, you know, and people see you. And sometimes people see you um, struggling and they see you doing well. And they're going to give you a word of advice. They're going to give you that reference letter that could make the difference between you getting into um lost school or not, they're going to, you know, just, just so many extremely positive things. And even now, as, you know, in my forties, here we are thinking, oh yeah, we're big adults now. We're living the grown life. Um, there's still decisions that are made every single day that other people look at and say, Sandy, you're doing a good job and I want to help. You know, I'm just floored when just people I haven't seen or heard from in years pick up the phone and uh, say to me, oh, Sandy, you just lost that lawsuit to Mr. Felder, which soon will be a thing of the past. But, you know, you need a good lawyer now. Come and see me. I want to I want to give you a donation towards your legal fund. And I was like, uh, what legal fund? <laughs> They're like, you need a legal fund and I'll make the first donation. So um, young folks, listen to those who are a little bit older than you. Um, we have a little bit of experience on you. We've gone through some of the same things. Uh, Anthony Lawson shared his um, tumultuous childhood, <clears throat> which, you know, as he said, was growing up um, in a tough household, uh, being surrounded by drugs and other things, uh, being in the foster um he was actually in the boys' home for some, I think he said seven years. And now you look at this, um, you know, we're, we're going to interview him, by the way. He's amazing. But you look at him, but he's kind of like a silent amazing. Like he doesn't really tell you the full story. So I feel like I need to get in there and start digging a little bit more. But, you know, he is um, a husband. He's a family man, a successful businessman now. And I'm sure a lot of people look at him and think, oh, he's had an easy life. And you don't always know somebody's journey, folks. You look at them and you simply do not know. 936-BOBO is a telephone number. Um, you know, a lot of times we share certain aspects of our journey, but so many of us remain silent. And our sharing your the hardships of your journey can help other people. So I think that's why it's not like you're trying to go back there and trying to relive it in any way. But I think um, sharing the story lets them know that the victory or the, the perceived victory of where you are now, the perceived successes in life didn't come easily. It wasn't handed to you on a silver platter. It was, you know, something that you earned um, and that you had to fight for. So Virtuous, good morning. How many of you have had to fight for um, just to be alive, just to be where you are today? Marshall and Olivia, thank you so much. Miss Ervelyn. 
Stephen, good morning to you. Joining us from the UK. Wee Wee says, good morning, Kiman. Blessed day, everyone. Miss Corrine joining us from West Bay. Beautiful district of West Bay. Good morning, Miss Beulah. Uh, Uhan, Alba, Felicia, uh, Diania, Marie. Did I get it right this time? <laughs> I saw her last night. She's like, girl, you're always mispronouncing my name. Let me tell you how it's pronounced. But it was really good to see you at the Ritz last night. Everybody looked beautiful. Um, she says, good morning, Sandy. Had a great night at the Ritz with my son. I'm glad I could finally meet you in person. Thank you so much. I feel like a lot of uh, people just know me through this program, but in fact, we actually haven't met in person. And so, yes, it's always nice when I meet people and they're like, oh my God, it's you in the flesh. And they like want to pinch me. Are you real? I'm like, yes, I'm real. <laughs> uh, Jackie's family empowerment came in. It says, this is a serious problem. Too many parents having children and not prepared for parenting. Well, definitely. Um, and it's a sad indictment on us as a community. I saw some people commenting on the missing teens and um, someone said, you know, maybe we need to think about how we can support single moms before they become parents. So let's take a call. Good morning, caller, and welcome to the program. Good morning, Miss Sandra. I'm just wondering if it's possible I could speak to you off the air. Oh, well, we're on air right now, so... Um, Afterwards? Yes. Okay, my dear. You Not want to give me a number? Uh, it's on the screen, so I'll call you back Perfect. after the show. Thank you so much. Okay, thanks, dear. All right, folks. So do remember, you do come on live. Um, just WhatsApp me if you want me to call you after the show. So Diamond Princess, good morning, Mark is also here. Um, so yeah, it is It is extremely difficult, I think, being um, a single parent or not even, because some parents are, there's two of them in the relationship, but they're not engaged, you know, engaged, being actively engaged as parents. So this is where things, I believe, start to go wrong. And I would dare say, I mean, feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, 936-2626, but I'm going to venture out and say that probably 95% of all children who are struggling, having issues, it comes back to parenting, like parenting of some sort, some sort of parenting issues. Sometimes it's, you know, the family goes through a divorce. It's the mother out there partying and having a good time and not ready for the responsibilities of being a parent. It's an absentee father. Because y'all know we got a lot of those around the place. Um, they're going around sowing their not so royal oats all over the place. Five, 10, 15 children later, no responsibility, no real job to support these children. Um, and more importantly than even financial support, there's no emotional support or no just being there for your kids. And so a lot of young girls in particular are out there looking for love in all the wrong places because they just haven't had it in their household. You know, they haven't had a parent or a father that says, honey, I love you and I'm here for you. And, you know, just there every single day to mold these young minds into something positive. So um, I think one of the reasons why the Boys to Men program has the fine dining with the mothers in particular is because a lot of these young men are growing up in single parent household with just the mother. But also the mother plays you know, the role oftentimes of mother, father, and maybe some extended family, but she plays such a critical role in the lives of 
these young men. And although mothers are not perfect and they're making their own mistakes, um, the aim of this particular dinner is to really teach them to respect the first lady of their lives. Because trust me when I tell you, if they cannot respect their own mother, they will respect no other woman in this world. Hmm? You know what them old people say. And if you grew up in a good, decent home, your mama and daddy used to tell you the same thing. Uh, young lady, look for a husband that respects and loves his mother. Some of them might be mama's boys, yes. But believe me, you, if he respects and loves his mother, chances are he's going to show you that same level of respect and um, love as well. So that's always one of the key things that you try to look for is a young man that has a good relationship with his mom. So the young man go around and we recorded it this time. So we did something a little bit different. In the past, we would have live streamed it in real time and we decided to not do that this time. But we are going to share it on, um, I believe we'll probably do it tomorrow evening. So if you want to watch it, uh, you can watch it tomorrow evening around 7.30 on our social media channels. We will put it up then. Uh, just a number of reasons why. One is, you know, the um, quality will be better. And then we didn't want the young people to be distracted because one thing I have noticed with them, once they know CMR is live and they're on there, they're like trying to do funny things and whatever. So we wanted them to really focus on just enjoying the dinner with their mothers and having a really fantastic time. So big shout out to the Ritz, by the way, because the Ritz has um, for all six years been the, uh, the Dart organization has stepped up and uh, sponsored the dinner portion of the evening in the venue. And, you know, they, they set it up very, very nicely, all the proper silverware and plates and everything. And you get full service uh, three course meal. So they get a little salad appetizer. They had chicken, like a mushroom and rice chicken last night, and then a little chocolate cake uh, for dessert. And I even saw um, some of the RIT staff taking the opportunity because some mother asking about the placement of um, certain forks. You know, there's a whole etiquette way in which you're supposed to properly dine, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, they were asking some questions about that. And I saw one of the staff taking the time to demonstrate to them, you know, where the forks go and which ones they were supposed to be using and that sort of thing. So I thought that was fantastic. So congratulations to the Boys to Men organization. Congratulations to John Gray and now Clifton Hunter. I understand that Mr. Murray and the board has high hopes of uh, moving the program to Cayman Brack as well. And I think that that's a fantastic idea because Cayman Brack has its own set of issues. Uh, lots of young people with a lot of time in their hands really going astray. And, um, you know, I hear people saying that there's a somewhat significant drug problem in the Brack because of, I don't know if it's boredom or, you know, what's going on. So I think it's important that we all remember that the Brack has young people and elderly people in the community as well. And it's, you know, critical that they have good, wholesome activities to get involved in and that we don't forget the sister islands. Good morning, Richard. He says, good morning from him and Celine. Louis joining us from Detroit this morning. He says, good morning, Sandra and the CMR Massive at home and abroad. Happy Thursday, everyone. Mark is saying that there's a card machine down at Foster's. Well, you got to be more specific, Mark. Can you tell us what Foster's you are referring to? Um, Louis says that he's a fighter and defender of the truth. Amen to that one. Where's my hallelujah button? Hallelujah. Yes. 
Everton, good morning. He says, when I come on vacation, I'll be visiting you so I can get my mug. Wonderful. Don't wait too long because we only have a few left of this batch, but we'll be getting more. Good morning to Miss Bonnie, who's joining us from East End. DJ Trucking says, most of the time, the kids end up in the middle of the parents' problems. Well, this is a sad um, indictment, no doubt about it. And um, yes, I think that that parents uh, need to try to be more mature. Like, you know, we know that not every relationship is going to last. This, These are, you know, things happen. Um, but you need to, as much as possible, really put the children first and try to isolate anything else that's going on in your life uh, from the children. But of course, children are smart. They pick up on a lot of tensions, even in a household, even if nothing's being said, they pick up on the tensions and the body language and everything else that's happening in the household. So I think it is important for people to um, try to, um, you know, really um, get, get it together just for the sake of your children. So Mark's saying that all of the debit card machines are not working. Maybe you need to call the bank. Is that CNB? I'm not sure, but we do have a caller. Good morning, caller, and welcome to the program. Hi, good morning, Miss Sandra. How are you? Um, I'm um, good so far. Thank God, you know. Yes, wonderful. Um, the subject that you're um, speaking about, it, it actually touched me because I'm, I'm actually a single father mm-hmm. of, three, of three daughters, you know, and every morning I have to get up and... Uh, you know, prepare them mm-hmm. in a certain way that they, you know, they they feel they feel good going to school, and you know, you touch a, a point there uh, as 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 mothers out here in um, you know, in the world, you know, they kind of they they mothers and fathers, parents, you you cannot just justify it's parents and a whole. Mm-hmm. It's like um, sometimes they leave the children, and you know, they find they not really matured enough to you know um, be a parent. Mm-hmm. So me, me being a father, I'm, 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 I'm pretty old for 40 years old. I got three daughters. Uh, 15, you're still, you're still young, you know, you're not too old. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm mature enough to mature enough to, you know, raise my children. Like what I was saying, I, I, I kind of ease up off of the part of life because, you know, they came into to play. Mm-hmm. But sometimes parents are not prepared for that. They do the opposite. And, 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 and. I'm I'm a I'm a father that has taken up that role extra to to to, to take care of my children mm-hmm. and um a lot of people know me mm-hmm. and I'm well known I'm ha- I had my job for a very long time you know yes, 16 years so I, I'm I'm stead stead ground and I just bought a house you know wow. changing the changing the geographical view for my children right and, can I um, ask you a question. At yes, what ma'am. at what stage did you realize how important it was for you to get your life together for your children? Was it before you had them, or once you know you had them and they were toddlers? What at what point did that? Uh, at, at that toddler at that toddler age, mm-hmm. you know, I I, I kind of like realized, okay, you know, you got to put on you know certain stuff, yeah, and and you know you just gotta be there for them. I have no mother, I have no father. But my mom was also a foster parent. So I was always around children. I was mm-hmm. always helping her. She had like 17 children in the household. Wow. So it, it tears me up talking about it because, you know, at the end of the day, there's fathers out here that really care for their children. Yes, absolutely. And, and, and by the system is kind of blocking that, 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 that venue for, for a father to actually be in his child's life is kind of 
it's mind bothering because at the end of the day, mm-hmm. sometimes the system more go for the woman, and I could probably say that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because they think men have this iron chest and they could hold up so much weight. Mm-hmm. Miss, I go to the supermarket, I buy as all the amenities for my child. My my the I I I gladly got my divorce the other day. Thank God. That's why I'm 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 overwhelmed and I'm and I'm thankful. But at the yes. end of the day, um, they they're growing up, and, yes. and, and 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 that's the main key. They're growing up. They're gonna see mm-hmm. what the father are are are. Good mothers out there to put yes. into the child, and and they're gonna hopefully you know catch on. Yes to see what's going on. But they, I'm, I'm talking from the father's point of view. There's yes. fathers out here that is, I, I've been to programs too, mom, and I've offered my wife at that time, let's mm-hmm. go to a program, let's go sit down and hear mm-hmm. what they're saying. No, I don't need it. And she's out there dangling her, her tail and I'm mm-hmm. watching it and I'm watching it now and I'm telling my children all every day, while she's out, we get in an argument, she calls the police on me. I'm sitting there waiting on the police to come to explain my side of the story. Mm-hmm. And, and this is, it became a practice, Ms. Sandra. Mm-hmm. It became mm-hmm. a practice. So when the police came to my door, they'd be like, you again, oh man, I need to go inside and make some love money. This is what the police is telling me. And I'm mm-hmm. telling them it's not that way. Mm-hmm. It's not that way. It's not how you think. It's not how you see the picture is painted. Mm-hmm. I'm hurting inside too, but it's the way that how they, 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 they make it seem like, you know, we're, we're supposed to handle all the pressure. Right. We have brains, we have, we have, we have blood running through our system as well. Yes. So when, when I've, I've been married for 16 years, Miss Sandra, before wow. I got my, 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 my divorce, I was married for 16 years. Oh, wow. I, 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 she was in the house, pay, barely paying no, barely paying no um, bills. Mm. But every Friday she can find money to go out, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Mm-mm. Made it, she made it, made it a, a, a cycle that I couldn't stop. So you know, I let her. I I, I gave her 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 five minutes of fame. Mm-hmm. I did my I did my homework. I I talked to some people. I talked to um a pastor. Mm-hmm. I talked to some close friends. You know that read that. You know you can't tell everybody your business, but you know mm-hmm. you find that one two friends that you can actually grab. They glue to you. Mm-hmm. And, and 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 we 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 just bonded. I found the right sources, and I, I, right now. You know what she's supposed to give me, Miss Sandra? I can't believe it. But three of those children, mm-hmm. I'm supposed to re- receive $175, not per child, for all three. And that's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Miss, I have wow. mortgages. I have mortgages to pay. I have loans. I have to make sure that my children here is cool before they go to school. I pray mm-hmm. for them every morning as I drop them off to school. Mm-hmm. I ask the Lord to protect them and teach them wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. Mm-hmm. Please, Lord, I just want the best for them. I just want the best. And I, I mm-hmm. mean, you talk before personally, but yes. I, I, I know you probably recognize the voice. Yes. I know, but it's hard to keep it in. Without yes. shedding a tear, Miss Sandra, and it boils me up to see a lot of a lot of females even come to the island and just 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 play with the minds of the Kimon and guys because we got big hearts, we have big hearts, and we willing to help, but mm-hmm. it's it's so it's so difficult when when that person mm-hmm. gets that that level mm-hmm. on that pedestal and they decide to pitch. Oh my God, mm-hmm. it, it's mind bothering, Miss Sandra. It, it, I'm talking as a as a as a big man. Mm-hmm. My mom has passed away. 
like what I'm saying, my grandmother's passed away. I, I, I have no father. This, this is me being me. It, yes. it, I mean, I just, tell, I, just I read it. Um, I can obviously see you're very emotional about the situation it and there's hurts, been a lot right? of hurt. Yes. And I haven't got, I haven't got no money, no money from her. This, this is what no I'm going to ask you now as, as a community who, you know, there are people who are listening to this, what can we do to help you? Um, because I, I'm, I'm sorry to, to hear that you're in this situation and, you know, I hear this story too often of normally it's the women who are saying, you know, the man is paying $150, $200 and that's, for and that's all the these norm. children. And yep. that, that is the norm in court. And we all know the yep. cost of living. $150 can't buy food for one month. For child, do nothing, much less three, right? My child, listen, Mr. My, my child, I got my child a job for us. This is all extreme it went. I got my child a, a, a job at Foster's Bank because I, I told her, you know, that's how I grew up, you know, I grew up working a dollar hour at her lease. And she said, Dad, you know, I, wa I want to work too, Dad, you know, because, you know, sometimes I see you do have certain amenities in the house and I'll be willing to help. I mean, they have a mother out there that is working, that is working, Miss Sandra. She's not crippled. She's not like bedridden. She's there. She's do she don't even give the cheering. I had visit. She had visited. Right? She didn't even beg. You know, mother would beg, beg for, for the children. Mm -hmm. She don't even do that. It's like a mother hand feeding her children, Miss Sandra. You see when the mother hand pick up that that food off the ground, all the children gather up. She's well protecting of her chicks. No one could step around that mother hand because she would flare up. Mm -hmm. That's how a mother should be. This is me doing that, mom. This is me doing that. Mm -hmm. You can call me any name in the world, but I'm protecting my children. Mm -hmm. I got them into academics. They want to be marine biologists. I sent them to the Brock. Mm -hmm. I sent them to the Brock, to the marine thing. I got involved. I, all these people got involved. Mom, I got her in football. Now I want her to get somewhere. This is me crying, crying, crying for Cayman, guys. Cayman and men that don't have a chance to be in their children's lives and want to be there and don't have the opportunity. A lot of my friends have lost their kids doing the same thing as what I'm doing now. A lot of them, the courts still turn it, turn them over to the mother for what? Right. And you've got three. And he, you've and, got three girls. And I got three girls, yeah. mommy. He had one child. He's he paid four hundred dollars a child now. Mm -hmm. for his one child. Mm -hmm. Four hundred dollars. And this lady can give me one seventy-five for three, and I have I, I ain't got nothing. Nothing as yet from last year, mom. From last year, Miss wow. Audra, this is ridiculous. I'm just curious um, as to what type of work she does. She works um, in a, a liquor store. Us. Oh, okay. So she's well, in retail. I, 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 yeah, retail. Yeah. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, mom, mm -hmm. every sun green, every fruit fill a basket. Mm -hmm. Of course, of course. So it, it is not about how much you work, it's how much you can, you know, children don't need much. They just need that little time and you just need putting that, that that little bit of love, that love, that care, that TLC. Mm -hmm. You're going to be, you're a mother. You should be, you should be telling your, telling your children about sexuality now because you know how the, you know how the teenage pregnancy in Cayman is, mm -hmm. is highly, highly rated. Mm -hmm. You got wow. to teach your children. I teach my children a lot about that. Like, yo. Don't make none of these children in school touching on those private parts of yours. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Please protect that. Mm -hmm. you're, 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 you're gonna feel some time a little tingling down there, baby girl, but that's okay. 
Don't worry about it. Get your education first. Miss Sandra, I talked to my children. Mm-hmm. Yo, like the like that like the like, like the asphalt on the ground, man, because like I it don't make no sense to print up anything. Mm-hmm. It don't make no sense to pretty up. This is not. It's not a dollar thing. This is that at the end of the day, if they go, then but they told the last thing, the first and the last thing they gonna say, you know, daddy told me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's gonna be glued. I'm not printing up nothing. Yeah. I'm talking to them politely, mannered. Miss back in the day, you know how I got taught by the whip of the belt. Mm-hmm. That taught me, my mother, but it made me the man I am today. Mm-hmm. I'm highly respected. Full of manners, mom. Well dedicated to my job. 16 years. Mm-hmm. I got a, I got my house. I'm got my little business, mom. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to make ends meet. Yes. How, how but can, there's how a mother. Can, um, you know, set, setting aside the sort of enforcement issues with the court, because I think that maybe there's some lawyers who are listening to this this morning who can help you um, take her back to court and actually get her to pay. Like you said, it's only $175, but every little bit helps. But outside of that, how can the community be supportive to you um, and your children? Because, you know, I think that they're obviously, it, it sounds like you need you need the village. And we are the village and we're here to help. So I, I see people commenting, you know, that their heart goes out to you. But I'm sure you need more than a heart going out to you. So tell us in practical terms, how can we help you? Yes, I just I it, at the end of the day, ma'am, I just need um I need financial support as well too. I need financial support. Sometimes I has to go to the church. I'll be honest with you, mom, I has to go to the church. Mm-hmm. And if it wasn't for Pastor Hire that gave me this link to go mm-hmm. to the church and get a few dry goods, miss, I don't know where I'd be. Today I pay my mortgage every two weeks, ma'am. Every two weeks I pay my mortgage. I go home with three hundred and fifty dollars max. I haven't paid no light. I haven't paid no water. I haven't paid no, no internet. And these basic necessities. And I have to, I have to, I have to go through that. I, I'm paying um, um, the light thing. Um, what is it? Um, CUC, you can, mm-hmm. you know, payment plan. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This is, this is, this is my, 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 my forehead be hurting me every day, mom. But I got to go into my work with a smile. I can't bring my own problems to my workplace and take it out on everybody. No, I got this. This is part of being a man now. I got to be strong enough now. After I got all these problems at home, mom, I go inside there. Mm-hmm. I just need prayer. I need guidance. I need, you know, willing. I need people to come together and, mm-hmm. and, and, and help people like myself. Right. That, 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 that really need it. We, we, I'm not begging. I'm asking. Mm-hmm. Right. That's the, that's I need some support, mm-hmm. and, and this lady need to come, and I, I I talked to my lawyer and he said you know the best thing to do because he he don't want to take no more money out of my pocket. Mm-hmm. He must go legal aid. I got the forms. I fill them out mm-hmm. to take her back now. I need to get my my last um CUC bills and you know my last pay stubs and mm-hmm. put everything together now and put that up and uh, give it to the lawyer and he said he'll work on it from there. Right. But as far as that part, I'm I'm, I'm trying to do that. I tr- everything I do by myself, Miss Sandra, and it yes. hurts. But everything I try to do by myself. Yes. Have you tried reaching out to um, NAU at all to see if they can assist? Even I with- tried that. Mm-hmm. I tried that system already, and they said I need to um, bring in some more documentation. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, after a while, mom, I, I see my mother go through that same system 
back in the day. So after a while, it gets me annoyed that you need one little piece of paper and they send you back in this longer line or they send you for this document and then you got to do this whole intake all over again because of what miss, miss that gets me annoyed. Man. And, 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 and you got to wait for the process to call, for them to call you again for the... Mom, come on now, mom. Mom, mom, that, that, that's weeks. That's days upon weeks now again. And if you don't contact them and if you don't call them and be on them, you don't get no reply. You don't get no reply, Miss Sandra. You can go there and knock and you can go there and stand up. You can go there and everybody inside there is frustrated, by the way, because they're not getting other assistance that they really need, ma'am. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's best I ask some strangers. Yeah. Because it, the, 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 the places are there that, to, for the help and then they're making a mockery. And you, oh, you know, he come inside there and begging. You know, he come inside, he, he come inside there again and he's up there. Yes, mm-hmm. I'm not done with that. Mm-hmm. Embarrassment. Mm-hmm. No, ma'am. No, mom, I'd rather thug it out. All right, listen. That's what it would say, right? Yeah. Yes. Well, we, we're, we're all about... Um, yeah, boy, trust me, too. Right? That's why yeah, I love my home. You know, I love my home, Miss Sandra, but there's, there's, there's spider webs down there that, you know, needs to be, you know, kind of taken out and yeah. clean. Well, listen, we're, we're about solutions on this program, right? So I want you to WhatsApp me. I know you said you've been in contact with me before. Go ahead and message me again. Because okay, when I tell you some days I get so many messages that there are I times when things kind of do fall through the crack. But let me see how we can help you because we have 252 people on the live stream, probably way more than that listening to the radio right now. And I know that even if every person gave $25 a month towards a little bit of a grocery fund for you, where we can give you a little Foster's card each month to assist you. I promise you I'll put, I'll set up something even for a couple months to see if that'll give you time to go back to the courts to try to get the, um, the child support payment sorted out. It'll give you time to, you've got to go through the NAU process. And I know that that's frustrating. And NAU has to answer to some of the inefficiencies that consistently are happening on their end. I mean, I don't understand why it's that difficult to really help people through NAU, why it seems like every single NAU client has nothing but negative things to say about that service. And yet, you know, I I, I'm, I'm they're, just, they're, they're I'm at a loss of words. But let us see how we can put together even a little bit of a grocery fund for you and to see how else we can help you with your girls. Um, there might be some people who are listening to this program who can be a mentor. There's Have you reached out to big brothers, big sisters? Because these girls, I'm telling you, they need a woman in their life, even if it's not their mother. They need a good example of a woman who you know might be a mother, might not be a mother, um, is out there working, a successful, a, a, just a, an example of what you can do with your own life, right? Because I'm sure what they've seen so far, based on what you've told us, even if we believe half of it does not sound like an exemplary example of what they would want to follow. So we don't want your children to end up in the um, children's home. We don't want your no, girls to go out no, there missing no, no, and all no, these other exactly. stories. So, and I warn know, them about that every day. I yeah. warn them about that every day. I say, girls, you know, you know, you gotta be careful out there. You got, you yeah. can't just, you know, going in the car, jumping it with them. No, you, yeah. your sisters are your friends. So, your yes. sisters are your friends. You don't need yes. the friends that you have today might be your friends tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the day, just focus on the education. Get a good education. Mm-hmm. Come on here to be a successful, independent woman in mm-hmm. work. Just work. Get your own business. Get yes. your own house. The house that I have now. 
it might be yours. You might, I might die tomorrow. You might have to take it over. You never, I miss, I'm, uh-huh. I talk to my chair like I talk, gonna, like um, I talk to anybody. I'm going to speak to, I don't know if you have flow internet at home, but let me reach out to the folks at flow to see if there's something that they can do from even a community level. Maybe we can get you some internet where you don't have to pay for that every month. I I will give you in terms of kind of the girls probably need entertainment and whatever. I will give you one of our streaming boxes at no cost. So you guys can watch the news and have little things to do at home, things that will keep them entertained in your household. So let's see how we can help you. Right. Just send me a WhatsApp message this morning. I do have my um, guest who's in the studio now. But if you send me a WhatsApp message and I'm going to put the call out there for people in the community to really rally around this father and give him the help that he needs. Will you do that for me? Yes, Lord. Okay, my dear. God bless right. you too. And thank everybody that has reached out for me and talking. Thank God you bless very them much. too. Appreciate it. Yes, Lord. All right, folks. So, um, you know, the caller was touched by the conversation this morning. We're talking about trying to be um, better parents. And here we have a father who is trying his best. I mean, he is really, really trying. And he's found himself in a situation. I see your comments, Lavana. Thank you, Ervalyn, Dana. Um, good morning to Catherine. Uh, K-Man Princess says to be strong, Big D. I'm going through a lot too. Love you very much. Listen, I mean, I love when people have positive things to say and they say how much they love you and they're praying for you and they're sending like, God bless you. But God helps those who help themselves. And we now as a community have to help this father. So we have a part to play. Um, Irvin says, hold it, dad. Uh, listen, if every, even if we got 10 people to donate $25 a month into a little food bank where we could give him a foster's gift card. That's grocery money, right? How much money is that? I'm horrible at math. <laughs> so can somebody do the math for me? Somebody right now is like, Sandy, just add the zero to that. So $25 a month. Let's, let, let's say 25 of you, because we've got hundreds of you listening right now. If you donated, right, 25 of you donated $25, that would be $625 that we could give him towards groceries alone for his family. That's a family of four. That can feed a family of four. And I'm sure he knows how to cook and how to make that, that stretch. Um, Irvin, he did give the age of the girls. I'll get those again. Um, Miss Lucille says, I'm crying with you. Never. Um, she's talking about saying that I know what you're talking about. God will provide. No, the community has to provide. <laughs> it's fine to say all these wonderful things about God. But he needs us to do our part. If you believe in a God, you need to get up right now and you need to WhatsApp me and you need to message me and say, Sandy, I will be part of the solution. We have to help this young man. We cannot allow, these are three young girls. We cannot allow a single one of them um, to, to fall through the cracks. These are Caymanian children. And it sounds like, and if I recall correctly, that he has um, married a young lady who's from overseas. And basically, I think she just wanted to come to the Cayman Islands to have this, you know, what she thinks is a fabulous life. And she's out there living her best life with no concern or care for her children. Well, that's that's on her, right? She will have to live with the consequences of that because trust me, one day, as life would have it, the irony of, of how life is, she'll probably end up needing her own children to help her in some way. And they will have to decide you know, based on their relationship with her, if that's the right thing to do or whatever. So I don't want to go too deep down that rabbit hole. But what I'm saying now is he needs the help and these children need the help. And I think that um, any way in which we can help, we should do so. And what what it, what is $25? Well, when you don't have it, it's a lot of money. 
But for most of us, we spend that on lunch. <laughs> you know, you go out for lunch and you spend that. You spend triple or quadruple that on your nails and hair every single week and whatever. So um, reach out to me, folks, if you're interested. Like I said, I'm going to do my part. I'm going to help them out with a few things. And I'll commit to my $25 per month for sure. I don't think that's a whole lot to ask. So anyone else, um, Ms. Elizabeth, thank you for the positive comments. Uh, Pretty Tash says, this is so heartbreaking. Continue doing your best for your kids. Um, this now is where we need to recognize when someone, I mean, I know it must have taken a lot for him to pick up the phone this morning to call this program and lay out, you know, how, I mean, this man is crying on the phone. I mean, how heartbreaking is that, right? So let us please um, do our part because I think that we could make a significant difference. If you're not able to donate any funds, um, perhaps that you, you know, perhaps you can find time to spend with one of the girls. You can take them to the movies. You can take them out for ice cream. You know, you can do things, um, you know, you don't have to become a full-time foster parent. You can say once a week, uh, once a month, I'll take one of the girls. And, you know, you can have some free time if we all took one of the girls and give him some much needed time to himself because as a single father, he also um, needs a break as well. So thank you. Um, for your comments. Miss Elizabeth says he's not lying about NAU. Uh, Damien says there's a lot of verbal abuse in relationships as well. So Fatima says to try the food bank. He has been going there because he did mention them as well. Um, I'm trying to remember. I think he lives in the Baden town area, but I'm going to just confirm. But he did mention that he's been going to um, the food bank also. So, you know, NAU seems to need some some shaping up, folks. I don't know what's going on over there. But in the meantime, we can't just lay, lay it at the foot of government to say, oh, it's all NAU. And um, Lavana is making an excellent suggestion here. She says, get his CUC account number as well, and we can make payments towards it. Um, I don't have a lot, but I'm always willing to do good um, for the good to fall back on my children. Absolutely. Um, yes. Yeah, I mean, th there's definite things that we can do. So let's, I've asked him to reach out. When he reaches out, we'll definitely um, see if we can help with groceries, um, the CUC bill, definitely. And I think, you know, taking the girls sometimes to kind of do fun activities and whatever, we can definitely help with that as well. I'm a mother of one. I, I can bring another one along. So I will, I will volunteer um, some of my time. I'm extremely happy, but guess what? You know extremely happy. I am extremely happy, but I meant to say I'm extremely busy, but I make time for my own child. And I think making time for other children in the community is really, really important. All right, folks. So thank you for those comments. Good morning to Scott. Good morning, Dana. Good morning, Ervalyn. Um, and you know what? I see Scott on here and I had a, a really productive meeting with Scott yesterday and Scott actually gave me some gift cards um, to Waffle Monkeys. So I'm going to give, I hope it's okay, Scott, if I give one person more than one gift card. Can I give him a couple so that maybe he can take the girls out um, on a weekend and treat them to a nice meal at Waffle Monkeys because they've got the best waffles on the island. Waffles and chicken is a thing, folks. So if I'm allowed to give him more than one gift card, I will do that and he can treat the girls to um, a nice waffle breakfast one morning. All right. Um, big shout out to Burger King Popeyes as well because they always provide us with gift certificates also. 
So folks, we're going to change um, gears just a little bit here, not a little bit, quite a bit here this morning. Um, thank you guys so much for tuning in. Over 253 people on the live feed and lots more now listening to um, Bobo 89.1 FM. Uh, let's go ahead and we're going to bring in our guests into the program. And I want to thank her um, for coming on. But let's just take a little quick uh, commercial break before we do so. The Cold Hard Truth is Cayman's number one talk show since it debuted in March 2020. According to independent research, we are the most listened to talk show in 2021, and most people prefer us to any other options on island. We tackle tough issues some days, and other times have fun and lighthearted discussions. But most importantly, The Cold Hard Truth is here for you. Thank you for your support as we continue to be the voice of the people in 2022 and beyond. All right, folks, uh, welcome back um, to the program. So we do have a bit of an experts corner, if you will, where we bring in experts to talk about a variety of issues facing uh, the community and, of course, the world, because we do not live in isolation. This is a small island, but there are tons of things that happen regionally, um, global, internationally, that impact our lives here in the Cayman Islands. So we've had Dr. Golf. Golfo Alexopoulos, I hope I'm getting better pronouncing that, here on the program before. She is a professor and director of USF Institute on Russia. Um, Dr. Golfo, I'll just use the first name if I may. It's fine. Thanks, Sandy. Great to be with you. Yes, thank you so much for um, joining us again on the program. I know we spoke, um, I think it's been over a month already, but no. at the very beginning of this invasion, I, I have to caution myself not calling it a war because it really isn't a war it's it, it's an invasion right mm -hmm. um yeah. of the ukrainian people and so i wanted to bring you back on the program so that we could just have an update on uh, what has been happening and if if the ukrainian people are making any sort of a headway I think they are because everyone expected the Russian military, one of the strongest, largest militaries in the world, uh, everyone expected them to have a quick victory in Ukraine, and they did not experience a quick victory. Their goal, as we know, was to go in to kind of decapitate the government, to put in their own uh, pro-Kremlin uh, proxies in Kiev. Uh, the capital of Ukraine. Uh, they did not succeed in that. They also uh, staged a full-on uh, war across um, the country in the east, in the north, uh, attacking Kiev from the north, uh, attacking uh, Mariupol and other regions from the south, across the Sea of Azov, and then in the east, in the um, uh, the Donbass region. Uh, but they've they've been stymied. I mean, they and I think that it's out of frustration that they're killing so many civilians because they're militarily they've really been weakened. They've the Russians have lost um, thousands of soldiers. Some estimates as high as fifteen or eighteen thousand. Mm -hmm. um, hundreds of tanks and uh, planes and so on. A lot of equipment. Uh, so it's been a disaster for Russia. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Wow. And but they're not giving up. I mean, it seems like they are continuing forward. 
they're not giving up. And I think that they're becoming even more desperate and more angry and more vengeful uh, towards the Ukrainian people mm -hmm. uh, because their view, and I think I mentioned this on your show last time when you asked me, is there one kind of simple or easier way to understand this conflict? Um, and I said it was imperialism. And I, I do think that because Russia views Ukraine through this imperialist lens that they belong to Russia, they're really not a legitimate country. Ukrainians are just um, a subset of Russians and they belong, uh, they, these are historic Russian lands and so on. I think because of that view, it, there's no easy way to resolve this. Uh -huh. um, I think if it was a if it was about NATO, we could sit down and have a negotiation. But if it's about imperialism, how do you change their views towards Ukrainians? Um, that is a big ask, and that's why I think this conflict is is so dangerous, and why some have called the killings genocidal. Because those who those in Ukraine who talk about their identities as Ukrainians that's viewed as extremist and terrorist and illegitimate uh, and Nazi-ish, Nazi-like mm -hmm. on the part of Russians. Uh, so what do you, you know, how do you resolve this? Mm -hmm. um, to, th that's what makes me really worried because wow. I don't see it. I don't see a simple way out of this, honestly. Mm -hmm. Unbelievable. So, I was reading some of the headlines and you mentioned the term Nazi, which is something I think sometimes is thrown around a lot, but it is one of the terms that uh, Russia themselves have been using to describe the government and the people of Ukraine to try to gain support um, for their invasion of, of the country. Um, why do you think that it's so, especially in that particular region, um, that word can be... Um, so inflammatory and it seems like in some instances it might actually be working to convince people that um the invasion was somehow legitimate yes you're absolutely right it's in it's a very important word for russians so in the russian view um russians are the great victors this is how under putin they have constructed their national identity russians were the great victors in World War II. They were the ones who defeated Nazism. Um, but even more than that, uh, Putin has passed laws in Russia um, making it illegal to uh, discredit the Red Army in World War II, to suggest that the Soviet Union had a role to play in the uh, beginning of World War II. So um, in Putin's mind, uh, Russia is the the great victor and the and a hundred percent innocent uh, in World War II, and that the 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 big enemy that Russia that the Soviet Union defeated and the rest of the world should be grateful for that um, was the Nazi regime, and so all enemies are framed in that way as as Nazis. Um, and so if you, if he, he's telling his own people, well, these are Nazis and we always fight Nazis and we're always victorious against Nazis. Uh, so this is, and, and you're exactly right, that it does resonate with ordinary Russian citizens because the memory of World War II is so powerful and every May 9th, they commemorate the victory in World War II in a big kind of splashy way with the military parade and so on. Wow. 
Amazing. Um, and of course, that that narrative of what has been um, created for them of what, you know, probably even what World War II was about, but certainly what is happening now, uh, many will say is not an accurate reflection of, of what's happening. Yes, yes, that's that's absolutely right. And if I could also mention about May 9th, some people think that that's the date when Putin wanted to be done with this war so that he could during the World War II commemorations say, see, we defeated Nazis once again. Uh, we're the great country that defeats Nazis. Uh, so some people think that he'll actually try to um, have some kind of victory that he can claim by then. Uh -huh. um, you know, let's see. But I think that the images coming out of Ukraine, the obvious targeting of civilians, the uh, incredible brutality and mass killing uh, that the Russian forces have been engaged in, I think that is making Ukrainians ask themselves, uh, can we cut a deal with these invaders? I mean, if we if we cut a deal with these people who don't even think that we're a legitimate country, uh, then they won't accept any deal and they'll just rearm and try again at a later date. Mm -hmm. So I saw one of the headlines, I think this was The Economist make mention that this week saw grisly evidence of war crimes and call for tougher sanctions on Russia. So, um, you know, I did see yesterday that there was, I can't recall which city now, but there was an area that um, the Ukrainian people were going back into and trying to clean some of the debris and some of the rubble. And I mean, the pictures have been unbelievably, I mean, I can't, I can't believe what I'm watching and what I'm seeing in terms of the level of devastation. I mean, the bombing of buildings and hospitals. And I mean, it's just, just visually looking at it, it's extremely um, disturbing to see, despite the fact that they're not uh, apparently winning this war, they seem to be creating a lot of devastation, a lot of death. But talk a little bit about this concept of war crimes. What is happening to the actual civilians in Ukraine? So what's happening is, and I think that the areas that you're referring to are the um, the suburb of Kiev in the north, Bucha, where they've discovered um, people with their hands bound behind their back, uh, execution style, uh, face down on the street, people on their bicycles who were just shot, um, elderly people in their cars just going to get groceries, being shot, shot dead in their cars, a man walking with a sack of potatoes being shot, executed. Um, so just no rhyme or reason except pure hatred. Um, and that is why the president of Ukraine, Zelensky, has called this genocidal, because it does seem that there's a targeting of Ukrainians as Ukrainians, and there's a desire to, um, to vanquish um, Ukrainian identity, and, and that would be genocide. Um, war crimes would also include um, the deliberate targeting of civilians. Uh, that is a considered a war crime, according to the Geneva Convention. And um, we have seen evidence of this uh, by the Russians. For example, the hospital um, that was targeted, uh, the theater, uh, that had a big sign on the roof that said children so that um, uh, no nobody would target it. And that was leveled, uh, they think as many as 300 people perished there. In Mariupol, this is a city on the Sea of Azov, the city in the south, that is very, 
it's a big priority for the Russians. You know, they want that whole corridor leading to Crimea. Um, and so they really want to grab all those cities. The people in Mariupol, they have been stuck in this siege in the city. Uh, the United Nations has been begging Russia to open up a humanitarian corridor. They have refused to do that. They've actually deported people from the city into Russia. Um, it, and it, so it's just, um, it's devastating. It's devastating. You're absolutely right. It's a humanitarian disaster. Oh my gosh, I'm going to share with our online viewers um, some of the photos of just the total devastation. I mean, the buildings, but like you said, you know, buildings can be rebuilt and, um, you know, maybe some repaired or whatever, but the, the human life, the loss of human life, particularly of women and children, and as you rightfully say, um, civilians who really want no part of this, has been absolutely shocking. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And I think that this is what has horrified the world um, because initially it seemed like it was a geopolitical conflict over, you know, territory and security. And now it just, it's so much bigger. And in fact, Putin was even calling it much bigger. I mean, I, I, there are these far-right national extremists in Russia that believe that all these lands that were separated from Russia at the end of the uh, Soviet era in 1991, when they became independent states, um, that they really belong to Russia historically and right there, rightfully Russia's territory. So, but rather than just, um, accept the loss of empire, they want to reconstitute empire. And all of these innocent people uh, are suffering because of these wild imperialist fantasies of a minority of individuals in Russia. And I do believe it is a minority, a vocal one, but a minority nonetheless. And what sort of, um, I'm just going to pull up the map here, what sort of strategic headway? I know that they had um, taken over where the Chernobyl um, military plant was, and there were some concerns about that. But strategically, what areas of um, Ukraine have they been able to take control of 100%, if any at all? So uh, it's hard to say 100%. And I think this, you know, credit belongs to the military of Ukraine. I think they've been trained really well by, uh, there have been U.S. Uh, military uh, trainers in, in the region and, and others. Um, so here's this, um, so I, what I want your viewers to notice is um, at the bottom, you see the, um, the, the Crimean Peninsula. Uh, that is the peninsula that was seized by Russia in 2014. Mm -hmm. um, and after Russia annexed uh, Crimea, um, they were under, they were placed under a number of sanctions, but it, it kind of whetted the appetite of the uh, extreme Russian nationalists in, in Russia who said to Putin, well, it's not just Crimea we want, it's all of Ukraine. And and now we see Putin really uh, going for more territory in Ukraine. Now, along the east, if you look um, kind of on the east tip of Ukraine, uh, on the right of the map, uh, that area is the Donbass region. That Those are the territories that Putin, uh, I, 
you know, right at the start of this conflict, he recognized their independence from Ukraine. And now he has repositioned his forces away from the capital of Kiev and towards the east. So the assumption now is that they're going to regroup. They're in Belarus and in Russia, kind of rearming, regrouping, and that he's going to redeploy those troops in the east to just definitively seize uh, Donbass. So at least he has some some success Uh uh, to claim in the conflict. Um, but, But, you know, there are other areas, like in the south, if you look uh, in the south of the map, you'll see the the port city of Odessa. Uh, nobody thought Russian forces would go as far west as Odessa, and yet they've been bombing around Odessa. Mm. Um, so it's just it's so hard to know what where they will stop, how much is enough, when they'll be satisfied. It's um, it's it's hard. It's really hard to know. Wow. All right, folks. So we are six weeks in to the um, Russian invasion of Ukraine, and we're just trying to get an update um, on what's been happening. So Dr. Golfo is joining us. She's a professor and director of USF Institute um, on Russia and considered an, uh, definitely an expert on contemporary Russian politics and society, um, as well as um, everything about modern Europe and the Soviet Union. So uh, she's a wealth of information, and she's giving us you know, some insightful points into what is happening some six weeks on after Russia, um, the Russian uh, president, Vladimir Putin, decided to invade Ukraine. So I was reading some headlines this morning, and there was one where the um, Russian soldiers are saying that, I think there was an audio that leaked of them, where they basically said that they're like starving, and you know they're not really doing well at all. Um, tell us a little bit about, do we know, do we have a true sense of what's happening? This is what it said. Uh, There's so few of us, Russian soldiers were complaining in a leaked audio. So a Russian commander allegedly ordered his soldiers to shoot and take out Ukrainian civilians near the besieged city of Mariupol. Mariupol, right. Mariupol. Yeah. Um, and this is what is being said. And this is based on in intercepted radio conversations and in the recording which is released by ukraine's um, sbu security service and the times has gotten a hold of it an unnamed soldier says and this is a quote there are two people coming out of the grove in civilian clothes and he also said that a vehicle had been seen um but it's unclear if it's civilian or military and then he the response he got from his Russian commander was take them all effing out. Uh, his superior shouts in response, adding that it was not important if they were non-combatants or not at the scene. He says off them all, and then use the F word again. And the soldier says, got it. And the Times reported that based on the soldier's comments, the incident is believed to have taken place in, the, in a village near uh, Mariupol. And the leaked audio of another Russian soldier uh, was complaining Um, where he and his colleagues were complaining that um, they're vastly outnumbered and receiving no support from Moscow. And the Ukrainian group has some 150,000 soldiers, is what he said in the audio. And that there's only, and he used that word again, 3,000 of us, if that, and they are on the left, on the right, encircling us. And he used the F-bomb again. And he says there's so much of them and so few of us. We don't have any support, no aviation, not an effing thing. Um, so we see a level of desperation. 
and this was released just five hours ago, this intercepted audio. But we see a, a level of desperation, um, both with even the military commander saying, just shoot anything, just shoot civilians, doesn't matter, you know, just randomly killing people. But also, um, you know, just the soldiers themselves saying that we don't we don't have anything. We we're outnumbered. We don't have much. We, you know, there's obviously a sense of frustration with them as well. Right. No, you're absolutely right. And in fact, there's um, been a lot of reporting about low morale among the Russian uh, troops. And this has been a big problem because even though on paper, the Russian military looks more advanced and well-trained and, and numerous and, you know, uh, and formidable than the Ukrainian military. One huge advantage uh, on the part of the Ukrainians is uh, the will to fight morale and a real sense of purpose that they're defending their homeland. And then the Russians come over and many of these forces had no idea that what their mission was, why they were doing this. Um, they lost a lot of troops right off the bat and so they were splintered. Um, and these intercepts reveal also just a lack of preparation. A lot of supply lines were, were uh, destroyed. The Ukrainians had uh, these um, drones. They would, they would go in with drones and do these aerial strikes on supply lines. And uh, some Russian soldiers are, um, are reported to have been sleeping under their tanks uh, for days in order to uh, shelter themselves. So their conditions are terrible. Uh, their morale is, is non-existent. Um, and I think that the shooting of civilians is a way of um, expressing revenge and anger uh, about the situation that they're in. Um, but, but if I could link this back to your earlier question about war crimes, according to uh, the UN um, uh, convention on war crimes, according to the United Nations, if a soldier executes an illegal order, that, that does not protect them against uh, charges of having committed war crimes. So it's not a defense for a soldier to say, well, I was just um, responding to orders, I was just obeying orders. Mm -hmm. uh, so ever since the Nazi um, uh, war, crimes, war crimes tribunals in Nuremberg, uh, that's been an illegitimate defense. It's not enough to say I was just accepting orders. If you are given an illegal order, you are not allowed to execute that order. You are responsible. Uh, so I think that that soldier, as well as his commanding officer, will be responsible for war crimes. Right. I mean, what's the reality, though, in terms of them ever being really held accountable um, for these war crimes? Yeah, it's a good question, because uh, first of all, Putin would have to give up those soldiers. Those soldiers yeah. would need to be identified, captured, uh, sent to the um, to the International Court of Justice. So, you know, there there is a process mm -hmm. there. Uh, and I, I sort of don't see it happening unless Putin's regime is is defeated thoroughly, and the people who who initiated this illegal invasion are arrested, and those who supported them, whether they were propagandists or military people or what have you, are all um, 
you know, all face justice because really there's a lot of um, responsibility to spread around there. Mm -hmm. Wow. So um, the war is not going for uh, Putin as quickly as he wanted it to. Um, some six weeks later, he was hoping for a quick uh, victory. How? And I'm not quite sure why his why he was so off on this. I mean, why did he think that it was going to be so easy um, to take Ukraine? You know, it's a it's a very good question, and I think it reveals a lot about him and also about the lack of knowledge that. Uh, Russians really have about their their neighbors. Um, back in the Cold War era, back where when it was the Soviet Union, uh, the Soviet Union had all sorts of institutes and uh, they would fund all of these research centers for the study of the United States and Canada and for the study of, you know, Asia and so on. And they invested in knowledge about the world. Um, now it seems that Russia is very happy to just be in a bubble and to operate based on um, assumptions that aren't credible, that have no real basis in reality. Um, because if you know the real history of Ukraine and you don't, I mean, Russian nationalists love to go back to the 17th century um, and talk about Ukraine. But if you know about contemporary Ukraine, um, you would not be surprised by the Ukrainian resistance um, because the Ukrainians put up a, a fierce resistance against uh, not Nazi occupation and against uh, Soviet power, uh, both in the early and mid 20th century. Um, and, and so I think that there's this denial about that history. I think Russians have not studied that history of Stalinism in Ukraine and how the violence of the Stalin era really helped consolidate and strengthen Ukrainian national identity. Um, I think that's even true of Chechen identity because that's the, in the Stalin era, Chechens were deported from their traditional homeland. Mm -hmm. And that deportation was so traumatic and so important in modern uh, Chechen history that their desire for independence really um, harken back to that era. But there's this denial in Soviet in Russian society, especially at the at the higher level and people around Putin, there's this denial about the violence that was perpetrated um, under Stalin against these different national groups. Um, so I think that because of that, and because of this romanticized, idealized, um, mythologized picture mm -hmm. of, you know, Ukrainians and Russians really being one people, um, they had these fantasies that they would be greeted with flowers and, you know, bread and salt, which was the traditional Ukrainian welcome. Um, and, and it was just absurd. And in fact, as soon as the invaders came in, all Ukrainians could think about was those who invaded their country in the 20th century, the Nazis, the Soviets, and they responded by shouting occupiers, occupiers, like that's what they would call them. Wow. So yeah, I just think it's a, it, it's, it's a denial about the Soviet past. Mm -hmm. And it's also a desire to really hold on to these mythologies about empire. Wow. So interesting that history can be so um, 
for certain nationals, and I guess maybe every country suffers from this a little bit, mm-hmm. where history can be rewritten and romanticized in such a way um, that it doesn't accurately reflect what happened, <laughs> you know? Right. It's, um, it's amazing. Yeah. So on Monday, uh, the Ukrainians had announced that they pushed back um, invading Russian forces and fighting, again, fierce fighting still around Kiev. So Kiev still has not fallen to the Russian no. uh, soldiers. Wow. No, which is really remarkable that, um, you know, and, and people say that the retreat, the Russian retreat from Kiev is basically a acknowledgement of total defeat because that was a big priority of theirs, was to seize the capital. Mm-hmm. I guess the, the question is, how much longer will it go on before they actually admit defeat, though? I don't see, you know, I think that the people who are negotiating around Putin are trying to come up with a deal that Putin will agree to. Um, but he has not spoken in any convincing way about uh, what would satisfy him. Mm-hmm. anything short of the total capitulation of Ukraine. That's why I have a hard time seeing an end to this without Putin being removed from power. Mm-hmm. Um, because even though what the statement that, that Biden made uh, was kind of off the cuff or whatever, I think it it was very accurate in the sense that if so long as Putin remains in power, because he was the architect of this entire invasion, um, it's hard to know how it might end. If he's out of power, others can negotiate an end, but he is so proud and stubborn and so wedded to these um, ideas, imperialist um, mythologized ideas about Russia's glory um, that I, I just have a hard time seeing where he stops. And e- and even if he stops today, uh, would it just mean that he'll restart this war again in the future? Right. So um, as Dr. Golfo said, uh, diplomatic efforts are continuing between Russian and Ukrainian uh, delegations. They did arrive Tuesday in Istanbul um, to continue those talks. Anything sort of leaking out of the talks in terms of how, how it's going so far? Um, I haven't heard anything um, hopeful leaking out. I know that the um, uh, NATO uh, had a meeting at, with with the leaders of NATO had a meeting with Blinken, and then the uh, National Security the UN uh, Security Council also met. There have been a bunch of different meetings, but but they seem to be moving in the direction of greater sanctions and greater confrontation. Uh, rather than a, a, a coming together about like you, you know a shared vision for an end to this war, mm-hmm. um, because my concern is that if they're if they're not even letting the Red Cross in, if they're not even letting humanitarian aid in, um, it's really hard to know uh, how this war w- will end. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. So. Um, some notable things that have been happening um, in terms of influencers and, you know, uh, some commentary on the political arm. Um, President, former President um, Osama, um, Osama. Um, uh, Yes, that is his name. (laughs) Um, Sorry, I've just lost my 
train of thought on this one. I'm just trying to find the link here. But there was there's a comment, uh, I will find it again, where basically um, a former former US president um, actually made the the comment that, you know, he's not entirely surprised um, by what Putin has done on the one hand, because he 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 did see him, I guess, as a bit narcissistic and you know yes. self-absorbed and whatever but there's certain things about it that he also thought the man he met some five years ago um you know right. it still surprised him in a way right. uh, we saw um in addition to that um barack obama my apologies <laughs> we also saw that um the pope just you know, in recent news, was seen uh, kissing the Ukrainian flag. So he is obviously taking a position on this as well, that this is incredibly wrong and that it, the invasion um, needs to stop. And he has made public comments to, to that position. Uh, there's a Ukrainian model by the name of Victoria Bonia. So I think this shows a degree of, um, I think, just how the message has been so, um, the Russian message has been so controlled and so ridiculous. But here she is um, actually cutting up her Chanel handbag, if you can believe this, because this is obviously a priority. She's went to Instagram and she's seen cutting up her Chanel handbag and throwing it aside because they have said um, they have banned uh, the sale of their products to Russians. And of course, I guess the Russian women are the model, models in particular are very, very upset about this. Um, it's just it's, it's just absolutely crazy. But speaking to the, the sanctions, are the sanctions working? So I think it'll take a while for the sanctions to really work. There is this view that's expressed by the model, which is uh, all of these Western companies are uh, victimizing Russians and Russia is always the victim and Russia is always blamed. And, uh, and we're when it's really NATO that started this war and we're just protecting the Ukrainians against the Nazis. I mean, there is this narrative there um, and it resonates with many people uh, because Putin has been kind of playing that narrative over and over again. Um, but I think that there are other influencers, as you say, maybe not like the model, but there are uh, others that are speaking out. Mm -hmm. You know, the man who won the, the who shared the Nobel Peace Prize, Dmitry Muratov, uh, he has spoken out very eloquently against the war. And although the Pope has spoken out, um, the Russian patriarch, Patriarch Kirill, has supported the war and talked about how Russians are just peaceful and, and just he has been a big uh, supporter of Putin. And I think that's one of the big problems here is that you have the institution of the church that is supporting the war. And when ordinary Russian priests speak out against the war, because there have been cases of priests saying in their sermons that uh, the war is, is wrong, mm -hmm. um, they have been fined or detained by the police uh, and so on. So, you know, you the the limits of speech have really narrowed in Russia. 
Um, but there are more and more people that are are speaking out, and I think we're we will start to see more as the sanctions uh, take effect. Because I think right now they're they're not being felt quite as severely as they will be, let's say, by the end of April. Mm -hmm. Right. So there is a headline here um, from March that says, did the West accept Obama? Misread the Russian-Ukraine um, situation all along. And they go on to say that um, even with the annexing of uh, Crimea, when that happened, that maybe the West should have been more alerted uh, to the fact that this was not going to stop with just that one particular, um, you know, uh, acquisition that it was going to continue. Do you think that for far too long, the Western countries um, and the rest of Europe perhaps has not seen uh, Vladimir Putin capable of doing what he's doing now? I think that though that people who make this argument um, have, uh, I think, I think they're making a very good point. Uh -huh. um, I think it's. It's hard to kind of judge. Uh, hindsight is twenty twenty. It's it's mm -hmm. kind of hard to judge. I mean, in my view, it's not just the annexation of Crimea that should have been a big red flag. But when Putin poisoned people in his adversaries in the UK, once using polonium and another time using Novichok, both military grade or nerve agents or uh, nuclear materials, that's in violation of the Chemical Weapons Treaty. And I think then, you know, and that was what, 20, 2006 or maybe 2005, mm -hmm. um, he has been doing things for a long time that violate international law and international norms. And yes, we could have uh, pushed back much more. We could have been clear about our red lines, uh, but I, but even I, never imagined that he would go so far as to uh, invade all of Ukraine. And it wasn't until he published his long essay in uh, July of last year, where he again reiterated that Ukraine's not a real country, and so on. And by the way, he's been saying that for at least ten years. The Ukraine is an artificial state, it's not a real country, Ukrainian nationalists are Nazis, and so on. He's been saying that for a very long time. Um, but yeah, but these, I think the reason why we didn't impose tougher sanctions earlier is that it 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 hurts us as well. It doesn't just hurt Russia, but it, it just now, you know, we're dealing with higher oil prices, we're dealing with price shocks, we will deal with shock, price shocks concerning commodities and so on. You know, whenever there are these big disruptions uh, in a global economy, it's going to impact the United States as well. So I think, you know, the Europeans depend a lot on Russian oil and gas. They were kind of hoping that they could contain Putin's worst uh, tendencies. So I think there, there was a lot of wishful thinking, but I do think that um, you, I, I understand why there was some caution exercise. Now, in retrospect, I really think that we need to like pull out all the stops and help Ukraine as much as possible to right. make sure that Putin's regime is completely defeated. Mm -hmm. Just reading a bit from the uh, an excerpt from this a story um, that I just mentioned, it says that there are numerous clues that the West missed in bringing... Um, 
as to the presence. In 2000, the West began wooing Russia, respectful of its status as a nuclear power, um, to get it to act as a liberal democracy, because of course Russia had oil, minerals, wheat, and natural gas, and the West wanted Russia to behave like post-war Axis powers, such as Italy, Germany, and Japan, and drive a period of unprecedented global prosperity. Former U.S. President George W. Bush and Putin met some 18 times over the next seven years, and Putin built a solid relationship with then, fresh, uh, then French President um, Jacques Chirac and German Chancellor, and it goes on to say that they made plans for a greater Europe from Lisbon, um, I guess, all the way to Russia as a corporation mechanism. The elite G7 countries expanded membership to G8 to include Russia, and the Kumbaya years lasted until 2014. So the question then is what changed? Once again, it was Ukraine. So when Russia occupied Crimea, rather than deal with one of its elite members as a co-equal partner, the West unceremoniously expelled Russia from the G8 and that put uh, Putin on the offensive for what he saw as the West's manipulation and hypocrisy. And then, of course, he claimed that he didn't know anything about the weapons of mass destruction in Iraq in 2003. And um, it says here that both Russia, both, sorry, Obama and Putin had a clear vision for Ukraine as an independent nation unaligned with any other country. And it explains why Obama did not take aggressive action against Russia. Um, uh oh, I think my internet just dropped out there. Oh, okay, there we go. <laughs> came back very, very quickly. Thank you. <laughs> um, it explains why Obama did not take aggressive action against Russia when the annexation happened in 2014. At the time, he said in an Atlantic article that there are ways to deter, but it requires you to be very clear ahead of time about what is worth going to war for and what is not. So at the time, he refused to send weapons to Ukraine and refrained from making any comments about Ukraine and NATO. So this is really interesting because there's a lot of people even now who um, buy into this theory or, or say that the U.S. Uh, is partially to blame uh, because they have pushed um, Russia to this position to feel like somehow Ukraine was a threat to them if they became part of NATO. But based on this observation, probably the, the opposite was actually happening in the sense that the U.S. was really um, not taking a position against Russia for quite some time. Right. In fact, that that's quite true. And in fact, um, there was a law passed in the United States in 2012 called the Magnitsky Act, which the Obama administration opposed. And it was a law uh, that would punish human rights violators in Russia by and elsewhere, but but the Magnitsky Act was particularly uh, targeting Russia because it was named after a Russian lawyer, Sergei Magnitsky, who was uh, beaten and tortured in prison. And after his death, his employer, Bill Browder, uh, pushed for a law in his name that would punish human rights violators in Russia because um, the argument was that all these people that commit human rights violations in Russia, they're all sending their kids to school in London and buying property in New York. And so there needs to be a real, you know, monetary sanctions against those people. Now, when this was being discussed in the Obama years, uh, John Kerry and President, who was then Secretary of State and President Obama, they were opposed. Um, they thought that this would 
uh, anger Putin, that, that it would harm uh, American attempts to forge uh, greater ties with Russia. So those were the Obama years. I mean, it did actually end up passing the Senate. Um, but the but the point is that the administration was opposed. And then in the Trump years, of course, we have inc incredible pro pro Putin uh, po uh, policies coming out of the White House. So, yeah. um, and 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 certainly when Obama when uh, Joe Biden uh, came into the White House, his the first priority his first priority was not the expansion of NATO and absorbing uh, Ukraine into NATO and far from it. In fact, he pivoted completely to China. So I, I really think that the, the NATO discussion is just something that Putin has used as um, to excuse his imperialist expansionism, because I think that if the real concern was was NATO and Russia's security, mm -hmm. uh, that, you know, he could have just gone in and bombed military installations and left, you know, if, if it was really about Mm -hmm. uh, demilitarization, but it's about denazification. And once we get to denazification, which was always one of the main motivations for the invasion, that's about something much more mm -hmm. than than NATO or Russia's security. It's it's really about um, vanquishing Ukrainian nationalism. Mm -hmm. Wow. So um, again, folks, we're just getting a bit of an update this morning. We've got um, about 20 minutes left in the program. If you'd like to call in 936-BOBO or 2626 is a telephone number to join the conversation. If you have a question for our expert, it's not every day that you've got an expert on Russian affairs um, addressing the people of the Cayman Islands. So do take advantage of this. If there's something that you'd like to understand, if you have a question or comment to make, uh, feel free to join the conversation. We'd be happy to take your calls. Um, the headlines, some of the headlines this morning saying that uh, Ukrainian president vows to hold Russian forces to account after war crime allegations. So again, both Ukrainian officials and independence rights watchdogs said that they're uncovering evidence of war crimes, including uh, mass graves, um, which are setting off an outcry for Western governments and adding to the pressure to the Biden administration and European allies to do more. So they want more by way of sanctions. And they're also asking for greater assistance from NATO um, in terms of, you know, any sort of weaponry that they can get to them as well. So um, is this being considered sort of a pivotal point in the war if they get more weapons, if they get more assistance? Yes, I think it would be pivotal. All along, the Ukrainians have been asking in particular for air support for the United States and NATO to provide a no-fly zone uh, so that they, uh, Russian planes that are bombing from the skies can be, uh, can be deterred. Um, others say that that risks a direct confrontation between the United States and Russia, which could lead to escalation and possibly uh, the use of uh, nuclear weapons. And that's why the Obama administration and really people on both sides of the aisle, Republicans and Democrats, have agreed that a no-fly zone might be too provocative. On the other hand, after the war crimes have come out, after what we're seeing in Bucha and Mariupol and other Ukrainian cities, some say, you know, how much more are we? Is the West going to tolerate? 
uh, why don't we give the Ukrainians what they want? Um, but it's also true that many of the bombing that's happening is not coming from airplanes. You know, it's coming from uh, surface-to-air uh, missiles um, and from uh, missiles that are positioned on the ground. So um, it's hard to know how much a no-fly zone would help, but certainly uh, the Ukrainian president Zelensky keeps requesting um, a no-fly zone. The movement that we've seen in recent days has really been in the direction of greater sanctions. Uh, the, the European Union is talking about ending coal because, you know, Russia is like one of the world's top exporters of coal, oil, and natural gas. They're a huge energy exporter. Uh, and Europe is one of their main markets. And so a lot of Europeans are thinking, you know, let's just cut down our usage or refrain from buying from Russia, even though it'll hurt us a lot in our pocketbooks. But do we want to be funding this war? Because right now we're funding the war. Mm -hmm. And there was another um, headline, I think it was yesterday, the day before, where um, there was a payment that Russia was trying to make on its debts that was actually refused. Uh, can you explain a little bit about the impact of something like that as a potential sanction? Yeah, because if Russia is not able to pay its debts, then it could default. And a default would also mean that the economy uh, will, will spiral downward. So I think what's, what's happening is that the West doesn't want to get involved militarily. So it's trying all of these tools, like as many possible financial instruments as it can muster. Um, the problem is that those financial instruments, it's kind of hard to know what would um, what would be the outcome, the degree to which it would impact the Russian economy, how a catastrophe in Russia financially would impact global markets. Um, so we're really in uncharted territory here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, just by way as a of another bit of um, information for our listeners. Just over the weekend, the Pentagon committed another $300 million to Ukraine for security assistance. So uh, it appears that they're pretty much doing everything that they can except for direct uh, military intervention. Yes, that's right. And in fact, they're, I think we've given the Ukrainians close to a billion dollars if you add it all up. So it's really a tremendous amount of military assistance um, there's some indication that we might, you know, that 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 the Biden the Biden administration has said if individual countries within NATO want to give planes to Ukraine, that's fine, but we won't do it as a united kind of NATO uh, act of act of support. So they're trying to they're trying to be cautious, not provoke Putin. But then others say, and, and I think that this is a credible argument, that Putin is already at war with the West. Putin is already at war with NATO. Um, and so why worry so much about it? If, this, if he's already telling his people that he's not fighting Ukrainians in Ukraine, he's fighting Nazis that are supported by the West, NATO and the United States, then he's escalated already. I mean, certainly... Um, so that's a real concern. I think that another real concern 
uh, in the West is that, you know, is Putin rational enough not to use tactical nuclear weapons? And nobody wants to test him. Nobody wants to push him to that point, although everyone agrees that he's in this kind of corner and he feels a little desperate and he's lashing out. So I think that there is a concern that if the if NATO, if the West, if the United States does anything to uh, intensify the fighting, that Putin might resort to something really dramatic, like the use of a tactical nuclear weapon. All right. So let's take a few uh, viewer questions and comments. Um, before um, our guest has to leave. So Jonathan has a uh, comment, I believe. He mm. says that he thinks that there are a lot of people on the Ukraine side that are playing both sides of the war. And he's asking about this Azov battalion in the Ukraine army. And it's another way for certain individuals to get richer. The West will get rich by selling weapons to Ukraine because don't think the U.S. is giving them these weapons for free. Ukraine will be receiving a bill from Lockheed Martin and other weapons manufacturers. So to that point, Jonathan, um, perhaps it's useful to clarify that the $1.6 billion in military um, security assistance that has been provided from the U.S., the way in which they're doing it is they're actually um, procuring arms directly from the manufacturers. They're not delivering any weapons, obviously, from their own stockpile, but um, they are by all means uh, sending these weapons free of charge. Any truth to the fact that the U.S. is selling weapons to the Ukrainian people? Um, I haven't heard that. I don't think that they could afford it. You know, honestly, I think that the real question now is who's going to be rebuild Ukraine? Where's that money going to come from for the rebuilding of Ukraine? Oh, my gosh. Um, because that's that's another big issue. Um, yeah. yeah, but there is I do agree with Jonathan that there will be money to be made in the aftermath of the war. Yes. Yes. So um, they're sending everything from non-standard machine guns, which means that those are weapons that are not used by the U.S. military. Um, Puma unarmed aerial systems hand launch lightweight drones that have a range of about two miles and can fly for um, some two hours. And apparently those are very important mm. for their recognizance capabilities. They're also sending armored Humvees, night vision devices, thermal imagery systems, a tactical secure communication systems and commercial satellite uh, imagery services, medical supplies, switchblade drones and small unmanned uh, aircraft packed with explosives that crash into targets. So um, when I hear something like this, I think, do the Ukrainian military already know how to use all of this technology and all these weapons? Like when they send them across, does it come with right. an instruction manual? <laughs> that, that's a good question. And I, I have heard that they have received training from the United States. In fact, the Pentagon or the Defense Department is taking uh, credit for some of uh, Ukraine's successes because they're, they've demonstrated that they're very good in terms of their uh, military strategy and their tactics uh, and their deployment of some of these weapons. Um, but there are many civilians in Ukraine that are just... Um, taking up arms and they don't know how to use weapons. And in fact, I um, I just heard from a, a Ukrainian artist who was talking about how um, many 
male artists uh, who have stayed behind in Ukraine because men are not have not been allowed to cross the border as refugees. They're kind of stuck in the country. Um, if they're pacifists and they don't want to be involved in the conflict, um, it's really hard for them because they they're on the one hand, they're being forced to take up arms. On the other hand, there isn't really a space uh, for those who uh, object on moral grounds to the use of weapons against uh, another human being, uh, even in an act of self-defense. Mm -hmm. yeah. Wow. So um, just one quick comment here to add to that. So the U.S. has rebuffed Zelensky's other requests, such as setting up a no-fly zone, and Poland's offer to send fighter jets to Ukraine amid fears of further escalation involving a NATO country, but President Biden last month signed a mammoth government spending bill that has some $13.6 billion in military and humanitarian aid uh, set aside for Ukraine, including investments meant to help protect against cyber attacks and um, to bolster regional allies against any further Kremlin-led aggression. So lots of money uh, certainly being spent um, from the American side. Um, so we'll continue to certainly watch that. We do have some other questions that are coming in. So Damien has a number of questions or comments rather. Um, he says that they will pay in resources to corporations or allow in US military, military bases. Um, Russia was also out of the SDR special drawing rights with gold and the IMF. Um, and he's asking questions about who controls the IMF. So Sue has a few um, questions. Uh, Sue says, good morning. Two questions. Number one, does Dr. Golfo think that the reports that Putin had the wrong intelligence is correct? And did he really think Russia would have been welcomed into Ukraine? I think maybe that's been partially answered already. And number two, do you anticipate uh, Putin reaching his goal of claiming back more former USSR lands and reach the sea eventually? So I think um, these are good questions. I think um, regarding Putin getting the wrong intelligence, um, I do I do find that report convincing. I would not. The, the one thing that bothered me about it is that I thought it it kind of um, it absolved him of responsibility. I think the real problem is that Putin has these views. He's a dictator. He runs uh, Russia with a an iron fist. He's his dissidents are being poisoned or shot or imprisoned. Um, he has cracked down on free speech. There's no more independent media and so, uh, in Russia. So it's very clear to everybody what happens if you tell the boss something that he doesn't like. Mm -hmm. And so I think that, yes, he was fed wrong intelligence, not because the intelligence agencies necessarily did a bad job, but because they're afraid to tell Putin the truth. And so whether the intelligence agencies actually knew this was going to be a disaster, but didn't tell him because they were afraid that he would lash out. And by the way, he is, there's already evidence that he has punished some people within the intelligence organs uh, for the um, failures of the invasion. Um, there's even some evidence, you know, we, we, we haven't seen them in the, the, uh, uh, Minister of Defense in a long time. We haven't seen the Chief of the General Staff in a long time. So um, there's some evidence that there is a blame game going on and that he's lashing out. 
Uh, I think because he's like that and, you know, he knows everything and he's brilliant and he can't be wrong, uh, that people know that people who work for him know that they have to tell him what he wants to hear. And, and that's the problem with a dictatorship, actually, uh, is that um, people are afraid to tell the boss the truth. And uh -huh. so um, especially somebody who's been in power as long as Putin has and uh, has consolidated so much uh, authority, people are just afraid. Right. So the U.S. government is continuing um, to put the pressure on with sanctions, including um, against uh, his two adult daughters, apparently. Mm -hmm. And so as they get closer to, I guess, uh, Putin himself and having some impact on him, I guess we'll have to wait and see how effective these sanctions are. Yeah, this um, it's funny. He doesn't talk about his daughters at all. He's very secretive about them. He often doesn't even he doesn't even mention them by name. He's never uttered their name. He says this girl and that girl. Um, and he's very private, but people know who they are um, and they've tracked down their assets. And I think it's good that that these sanctions are are hitting close to Putin. I think that that's very good. There's still people around him that have not been sanctioned. There's still many oligarchs that have not been sanctioned. So mm -hmm. uh, we, we still have work to do mm -hmm. in that area. Yep. All right. Very good. Um, thank you so much, Dr. Golfo, for joining us again, just to bring us kind of up to speed on where we are. Of course, we will um, continue to watch the development. Um, you know, I think we're all anxious for this to come to some sort of a, a head or an end, rather. Uh, Dean Shillette does ask, what are the chances of Putin being overthrown by his own people? I think ultimately that's that's the end. That's the end that everybody's looking for, right? Right. No, you're right. That's the end that I'm. I'm certainly uh, looking for. I hope that um, people just do hit the streets. Uh, more and more people um, show. I mean, it's hard. It's a huge risk. It's a huge risk. Uh, people have been arrested, uh, detained for a long time, fired from their jobs for speaking out. So the risks are enormous. That's why hundreds of thousands of Russians have left the country. Uh, since the war began. So uh, there are real risks to speaking out in Putin's Russia, but hopefully um, there will be a, a rising tide of discontent over the weeks. Um, I, it just pains me that there will be more killing in the interim. So uh, hopefully he can be removed before um, more killing continues. Mm -hmm. Wow. Now, of course, millions of refugees have already left Ukraine. And just over the weekend, when I was with the Cayman Islands Regiment, um, Lord, uh, oh gosh, I've forgotten his name now, but the Lord that was visiting here made mention of the fact that he had signed up to um, take in a family of four. And of course, these will be total strangers to him, folks, but he saw nothing wrong with it. He said, we have to do our part, um, you know, as people around the world who are trying to support the Ukrainian people in any way that we can. And I, I don't think his family of four has yet uh, arrived, but they are Lord Lancaster. They are uh, coming soon to his home in the UK. And he said that, in fact, quite a number of um, UK nationals have opened their private homes because, you know, the UK was issuing a or offering a financial incentive for people to take um, families in. And it seems like it's been a program that has been well received and a lot of people are willing to take families in. It was interesting because he responded to, uh, we, we were traveling a bit of a convoy uh, to a military demonstration by the regiment over the weekend. 
And the question that was posed to him by someone else in, in her vehicle was like, well, how long will you open your home for? How long will they stay? And he says, well, as long as they need to. <laughs> so, you know, people are committed to this um, for the long haul in terms of, of helping. So again, Dr. Golfo, thank you so much for um, imparting us with your knowledge and your experience uh, in this area. We will all be watching and perhaps in another month or so, I'm hoping it will be continuing then, but if it is, we'll have you back on just for further updates so we can keep abreast of what's happening in international affairs. Thank you, Sandy. It's always great to talk to you and, and to your listeners too. Thank you so much. Okay, thanks again. So folks, again, that's Dr. Uh, Golfo Alexipos, <laughs> who is Professor and Director of USF Institute on Russia. And she is an expert on all things uh, politically Russian, the Soviet Union, 21st century Russia authoritarianism, um, specializing in the disinformation space. So she's out there trying to correct information. And um, she has published a number of works, including her most recent book, which is Illness and Inhumanity in Stalin's Gulag, which was published by Yale University Press in 2017. And she has um, examined the systems of violent uh, human rights exploitation by the Stalin government, which, as you can see, all this stuff has an element of connectivity to it, folks. And none of these things historically happen in isolation. And they're impacting even now how Russia behaves. Um, you know, and what their their narrative and their spin has been and what um, atrocities Stalin may or may not have committed. So very, very fascinating, interesting things, folks. We do not live in a bubble. We live in a much broader world. The sanctions are something that we are obligated to enforce. I saw an email just this week coming from DCI reminding uh, local companies about the sanctions that are in place against uh, Ukraine my apologies, against Russia, and um, our responsibilities as companies to make sure that we are fully compliant with those. So it's incredibly interesting. Maybe we can have some local officials come on at some point and tell us a little bit more about those sanctions and if they're really having any meaningful impact, because some people do wonder. Um, I want to thank all of you for tuning into the show this morning. A special big shout out and thanks to every single one of you. I've got some 50 messages that I need to go through. Um, where people are, um, you know, sort of commenting that they want to help that father. So we're going to organize it because we need to organize it properly. And any funds that are given, we have to make sure that we're accountable for those. We need to keep a proper log of donations, who's donating and, and what it's for and that sort of thing. Because we never, ever, ever, ever want to take money from people and there's no accountability. That's not how we roll around here, right? This is, we won't be mentioning any names. People run out there like, oh, I want to save Haiti and get, donate clothes. And the container still in West Bay sitting in an empty lot five years later. That's not how we do things around here. If we're going to help people, it has to be meaningful help. And we want to help in the right way and give uh, this family uh, for the things that they need the most. So we're going to help with groceries, CUC bill. Um, and anything else really that we can help with, but we got to make sure that we're doing it the right way and that the funds are going directly um, to the specific uh, companies and vendors. So I will reply to all of your messages. And um, I'm thinking there is a nonprofit organization that helps with some of this. So I might reach out to them as well to see if um, they could be responsible for assisting with uh, some of the resource like allocation and, and keeping track of all that stuff. So just give me a minute to go through those messages. And in the meantime, of course, you guys um, know that I also work. So 
I've got to make sure that I'm working to pay my own bills. Otherwise, I might be on here begging to help for help with groceries. And we do not want that because y'all know I love to eat. So you probably can't afford my grocery bill. I'm just kidding. Um, but anyway, we are here to help as a community, folks. Um, I love that all of you have come forward and that you're willing to assist. And um, quite frankly, that's what makes Cayman such a beautiful and amazing place. You know, I don't care what anybody wants to say, but the Cayman Islands this is still the best place in the world to live and to, you know, we're big hearted people and we love our people and we love to help. So thank you guys so much. Have a wonderful day. And I will be in contact with you if you've WhatsApp me. 324-1612 is my private WhatsApp number. So do send me your messages and we'll get it all sorted out to help this young man. You guys have a fantastic day. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Cold Hard Truth on Bobo 89.1 FM. Cayman's number one talk show is live weekdays from 7.30 to 9.30 a.m. Never miss an episode again. Find us on Facebook and YouTube for the latest show episodes, including special community interviews and much more. Follow Cayman Morrow Road on Facebook and YouTube for all your community happenings. <laughs>